Get rolling. All right, while Waz is trying to, we're trying to get him sorted out uh, technically, uh, we can uh, do a little impromptu Q&A. I see some of the uh, some of the regulars in the audience here. So if you got uh, in, any questions or just want to chat about something. Um, uh, oh, I, always defendable, Abdul Rahman. Uh, how's it going uh, this going morning for you guys? This morning for you guys. It's good. I just wake up from... From my sleeping and have a good na- day, so I want to listen to the show, but it seemed like was not there. So I have some questions, or I will talk about ideas. I have just think about it three years or something from the to, to 2019 Raptors and just every NBA champion has the same approach, but. Is the NBA developed into more like uh, to more the '90s version of basketball? Jazz overperforming in the regular season. Uh, player like Carl uh, uh, Malone or Donovan Mitchell underperforming in the playoffs. Talent, uh, but uh, the big idea I have about seems like NBA teams in the playoffs play one-on-one mismatch hunting every position and the goal of every NBA to be the 90s next to be don't have any weak link on the uh, I, I kind of lost the question there sorry about that but I, I think you're asking about uh, sort of how play out the playoffs have become very or at times became very uh 90s style mismatch hunting. Um, I think there's some of that. I think the way teams go about it is a little, tends to be a little more inventive at least. Um, Though I don't, maybe there's not actually that much difference in like running just some like basic ball screen to try to get a switch and then uh, ISOing as their, you know, 90s style would be just back down. Um and and so maybe that's a little different. Um, I kind of think it's 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 almost a a loss of imagination on the part of teams. Um, I think the big advantage that the Warriors had is the Warriors, and this is a, this is a phrase that I used over and over in the playoffs is the Warriors, you know, played basketball, not the moments. And you know, yes, sometimes that meant Steph backed the ball out and went one on one. But that's if if that's what developed organically, I think that where teams can get in trouble in Boston was I think the uh, 
prime culprit of this, uh, you know, late in games especially, was, you know, trying to um, do the perfect thing. Um, I'm not sure if it was about this, but this is a phrase that came up uh, yesterday when I was talking to, to Brian Schroeder about the draft, and he described it as academy brain. And I think that was almost a little bit of what Boston was going on with, is they were trying to do, like, the perfect thing, get the perfect matchup, instead of just, like, good offensive basketball as you run stuff and you keep running stuff, and then, uh, oh, here's Waz, we'll get him up on stage now. Um, but you run stuff and you run stuff, and uh, hopefully you create a crack, then you get a good shot, as opposed to we got to just um, do the perfect thing the first time. we got to get the perfect situation, and then we'll attack it with eight seconds on the shot clock. Was my man, what's up? How you doing? I'm good, man. You know what? The last time I used this, I had a different phone, and I think that threw this thing all out of whack. Yeah. So I re-downloaded. I'm back. I'm up. I'm here. <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 cause I figured that might be it, because when I was trying to text set this up, I definitely got a new phone who dis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it wasn't even you. So, yeah. Um, let me see. Last time we talked was actually on your show. It was in the middle of the second round. And um, things done change since then. Oh, my goodness. So much. Yeah. So I don't know. Where do you want Like, where do you want to start even? I mean, we, I feel like I haven't even tried to unpack what happened to Phoenix yet. And maybe it's just yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe because I've been I did a show like every night after the finals games like I've I feel comfortable with how I feel about the finals what I think about the finals I just think back on that and it just remains wild to me. Yeah, Phoenix getting just smoked in those last two games, the way that they did was kind of crazy, and you know I think we heard that. Well, I did. I heard that Chris Paul got hurt, not on some, you know, just like the soft tissue stuff or whatever, but like allegedly Jay Crowder fell on his leg and he wasn't the same after game two. And then it's like, you know, he already had the wear and tear for, had the ca- for from having to carry certain things from the first round because Devin Booker wasn't there for some of that. And it just all just fell apart for them. And then the way Dallas just smoked him, I was like, is Dallas about to beat Golden State? And then, you know, the opposite happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, and I think that, I mean, that sort of, um, made that Golden, like Dallas just not really being competitive against the Warriors sort of makes it even more of a referendum on Phoenix. And, and what was the best team in the league all year, sort of unquestionably wondering, like, you know, I actually kind of want to hear that, like Chris Paul was hurt or something like that, because that that makes that that frankly makes a lot more sense to me than actually they just weren't that good. No, I, I think it's definitely a Chris Paul thing because again, like he was he was useless and like he couldn't do anything those last two games, especially where he's like the round before he's closing guys out, he's dropping thirty, he's he's going fourteen for fourteen in a game like he was incredible. Well, he, I mean, in game two of that series, he, he right. tortured them. Right. And so, you know, that's the only explanation that could make sense. Because, again, even if you say, OK, he's not going to dominate in the way that he did, he just straight up wasn't good at all for those last few games. And to me, that seems to be the only explanation is that 
he wasn't himself physically, um, and that's what contributed to him just looking like a pumpkin out there. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the like one of the traits of a Chris Paul team is it doesn't turn the ball over very much, and they right. like did they in in like those last five games of the series did they have twenty or more turn like they had three or four games of twenty plus turnovers and you know okay we expect that from the Celtics but not not a, not a Chris Paul team. Yeah, they sprayed the ball all over the place. It was that was that was very confounding because I was just like, all right, because they ended up winning game five in a way that I was like, okay, they figured out this defense thing. Um, they have the piece, the horses that they can score on the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> like this is not some defensive juggernaut, right? And it's not even like they're a team that you could say, oh, they're a bunch of knuckleheads, but they don't play up to their capability physically. This isn't a physically imposing athletic, athletic group of defenders in Dallas. And they just put the clamps on these fools two games in a row. And I'm like, this, this just doesn't make sense with what we've watched this team do all season long. Yeah. It, which it sort of plays into this has sort of been a, a subtext that's been bubbling over the NBA for, and I guess we'll go big picture, but it's been a, a decade or more, basically since, you know, you think back, what was that like? 2013 or something like that, when uh, when uh, the Spurs got fined for for Pop sitting all of his starters at a, for a game in Miami, if I want to remember a game, a game they almost won with like all their backups mm-hmm. against the, the um and so you know it's like there was a method to the madness but like um and this is sort of it this is touches so many different things from you know the way the game is presented to this these ideas for like the in season tournaments to load management, to, you know, team building and everything else is the, like the playoffs in the regular season are just so different now. Yep. And it's, it's, you know, it it used to be sort of a thing like, you know, I, I, I imagine I grew up more of a hockey fan than you do. I don't want to make assumptions, but I'll just, (laughs) I'll, I'll imagine that just because I grew up in Alaska. Um, um, but that used to always be because you know because you play harder in the playoffs and your guys play more minutes and the trade deadline happens with like a week left in the season. Um, it almost feels like we're we're moving that way a little bit in the NBA, and I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's like hockey or like the MLB, for instance, where like it, at certain times it feels like the playoffs has no correlation with the regular season whatsoever, right? Um, I don't think it's going in that direction because Boston got to the finals and they were the best team in the Eastern Conference for a, basically a three-month stretch heading into the playoffs, right? right. Um, unequ- unequivocally the best team, even though they had their moments in the playoffs where I was just like, oh, my God, what is up with this this team? <laughs> you know, but they got to the, they got to the finals. Golden State... Before the Steph and Draymond absences, they were like 36 and 11 or something like that, right? Like this was a dominant team at certain stretches in the regular season. So I don't want to say that that's necessarily the case, but I, 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 don't, I don't think it's as close to those other sports. But I will say that I'm somebody I'd like to see 58 games, round robin. Or sixty. What? How many teams are in the NBA? 
Is it 30? 30 for now. Okay. 30 yeah, soon, okay. I imagine. Okay, so you play the 29 other teams twice a year, home and home, get this thing two games a week. We know exactly what, the, what days the games are on. Like, get this thing more uniform, and let's go. I'm done with the 82 games, Seth. I, I, just, I just think it's just it's so much for no reason other than the owners seem to think there's no way they could recruit the, 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 the money because of inventory. And I just think they, could be, they should be more creative than that and, fi- and figure it out because it's just uh, like some of these games that we're being subjected to, particularly when we get to March and April at the end of the season. And I would even argue by February, a lot of these games are just like there's no reason to even be holding them. Um, I would just like to see us cut the regular season short, you know, make make these games matter more, more rest in between. I think we'd see a higher level of play in the average game. And I'm just, yeah, I'm over this long season length. I, 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 so I do think that just in terms of, like, the number of late season games that people just don't give a shit about, the plan has helped with that. Like, I think that's... Yes. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna make small tweaks, like that's been a success. Um, I think. I mean, basically, I mean, the question is, you know, and and it's you know, we have to look at it from like a business and revenue perspective because that's the perspective that the people making decisions are looking at it from. Is like, if you do that, can you make up the revenue you're losing from local TV deals by mm. by doing other things? And I, you know. I don't know. I, I would like to think so, because like you, I think that we would see, you know, a higher level of play, not just from a rest standpoint, but from, a you know, part of the reason why the playoffs look so different is we got time to, to you know, game plan. To come up like, with strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Like, I'm, you know, for, you know, for, like for, 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 for my day job, I'm looking at I'm like I'm, I'm working on building like football data. And just the way that looks compared to, like, the specificity that you're – like, some of that is just the nature of football. But it's also, like, you got a week. And yeah. just the difference between that and having a plane ride, in some cases, to get ready for the next team is – it's it's just a huge difference. And, and you know, that's – I think that's a big part of why we see guys that just, you know, you know, okay, you can't do this, you can't do that in the playoffs. Uh, or – once you know, oh wait, I remember he's left-handed. <laughs> like even just that is <laughs> like enough sometimes. Yeah, it's it, and again the level of play that you see in the playoffs across the board, and you know part of it is because we're self-selecting for the best teams, i.e. the best players, right? And so we're getting a w- much higher level of play just across the board. But like you said. Tactically, it's just so much fun to watch game the game. Teams employ different strategies and tactics and team coming up with the counters and teams coming up with the counter to the counter. It's like that is great. And I think that's our sport in its truest and highest form. And all the stuff we do for 82 games, because these cats are literally just saying it's an inventory thing. That seems just so crazy to me. And we're, I mean, we are, I think that we take for granted how lucky we are that the players are just wired as competitively as they are. Because even the players who, like, 
have been in the league for a long time and like, okay, well, it's, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, the, the governor is on the motor a little bit. But at the same time, you know, the ball goes up and the lights go on. And, you know, Marcus Smart isn't flopping in LS. It's a Tuesday in February. Yeah. So, but I think that's a, you know, getting to, like, that's probably a good way to get us to the finals to talk about that a little bit. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, you talked about adjustments and a lot of, you know, there's, did, did Boston make the right adjustments uh, defensively? I'm wondering, like, did they not try the right things offensively? Was it a failure of ex- execution? Was it a failure of, of personnel? Nah, I think on defense they played. I think there were moments where they had lapses in focus, um, which the thing about Boston, too, is that they just were not going to be a good half-court offense against the best teams in the playoffs just from their roster construction. And so, you know, I'm not surprised that they weren't that, but, like, some of the times on defense, you could see that some of their lapses would have effects on their offense. And I think a lot of it is compounding, too, when it's like you're not forcing turnovers. You're not getting um, stops. And so, therefore, you're not um, getting in transition and attacking a transition D as opposed to a half-court set defense. I think some of that was happening but in the grand scheme, I, I thought they were just fine in their half-court execution for the most part. I just think just spraying the ball all around and just giving it up. And then some of this – and it, it felt like the, the times that they did have lapses on defense were very, like, timely and costly in the timing of these mental breakdowns. And I thought that's just what lost them the series – I don't think Golden State was vastly more talented than the Boston Celtics. I, I really don't. I just think they were just way more tougher mentally as far as executing on a possession-by-possession possession basis. Like, if, if you somehow, I don't know, Seth, if you could come up with, like, what Boston's ideal outcome of, of a possession was on both offense and defense and the percentage of times that they actually did it as compared to Golden State, I would suspect that if we could put that model together, Golden State was was probably in the high 80s and Boston was like 71. That's yeah, no, and I think that's a, that's a good uh you know that that's probably like describes the magnitude of difference between the teams. Also, I mean, it was, you know, it, it, it's funny now that, like, a six-game series is treated like a blowout now or something like that, when this was a, you know, it was a... Bro, they were, they were like, four and a half minutes from winning game four and basically winning the series. Yeah. There was, and, and, and I tweeted at the time when Golden State made their run mid-fourth quarters, like, Boston's going to replay this last three and a half minutes. All, all summer. summer. Yeah. And... and <laughs> And yeah, and it's, it's, you know, that's, and it, those are the margins we're talking about. And, yep. I, you know, it's, these are, this is one of those things that I, and this is, this is, I've, I've said this before, but one of those things that I just did not believe in until I saw it up close and personal, like the been there factor matters so much. Yep. It's, and Golden State just has that, you know, Corporate knowledge is the word, right? And it's not everybody, but it's enough guys. It's it's Steph, Dre, Claymont, uh, Claymont, uh, 
Claymond. Steph, <laughs> I love that. Steph, Steph Claymond and, Kev, and, and Kevon Looney. Like, that's basically, of the guys that are on the floor. Like, and, you know, Kerr being, you know, being able to, to be steady. Like, that's, that's, that's the difference, you know? And there's guys on Boston who've been there, who've been close to there before. But, like, sixth finals in eighth years, that's, that's a different, that's a different level. That's a different, that's a different kind of understanding. Yeah, and again, like, you could just see it. Like, there's an, un- like, they have an understanding of, like, no, like, we have to do these things to win. Like, th- th- there's no other, there's no other path to victory and reaching our goals, but executing in this specific kind of way and making sure that you do it. You don't have these mental lapses. You always get back on D. You always rotate to the right guy. When you're guarding two guys, you know, the one guy in the corner and the one guy above the break and you're in rotation and you have to basically zone up, you do shade towards the better shooter. Like all of these... What can seem like really small things, like Golden State is just doing it every single possession. And like, you know, I said this on my podcast on Sunday. I had compared Boston to 2016 OKC because I thought athletically I had never seen a team make Golden State look as bad as OKC made them look in those first four games. Nobody's ever done that. Even when Cleveland ultimately beat them in in 2016, they never made them look horrible. The way OKC made them look in those first three ga- first four games when they went up three one, and then we know what ended up happening afterwards. I just figured, you know, they would do the same thing: overwhelm them with size, athleticism, try to kill them on the break with their superior speed and 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 you know explosion. And ultimately, that would be able to win the day, right? Like, they're not going to be able to win some tactician contest against Golden State. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. I thought they could overwhelm them with just being better, right, in those important areas. And really what it reminded me of after watching it was the Heat versus OKC in 2012, where it was like OKC was just as talented as Miami, but they did not have that sort of playoff focus that it took to win that series, and that's why they ended up losing ultimately. And then, of course, you know, playing Kendrick Perkins to start a single game didn't yeah. help. But, like, I, I, that's what it reminded me after watching. I was just like – and I remember KD did an interview afterwards. He was just like, yo, those dudes had a level of focus and precision – um, and executing this stuff that we just did not possess at that time. We didn't have it in us to do it. And I think that's what happened to Boston. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that, that is like almost word for word how I felt after the, the 2019 uh, conference finals when, when, when I was still with the Bucks and Toronto beat us. It's like, mm. that's like, they, okay, this is a team that's been knocking on the door for six, seven, eight years. And so they just, you know, we like this is great. Things are going well. We're making shots. We're winning. And then, but mm-hmm. then they were like, you know, Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard were like, "F this!" Like, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, um, the other, the other question is like, I think it's easy for us to to kind of make the the psychoanalysis version of it. How much of it is just like a like a skill deficit and the fact that like 
this is something that, that, that I've been asking is like, did Golden State just kind of figure out like Jason Tatum had to tell? Like Jason Tatum's going to go to that Euro step and fall out of bounds. Mm. And so Golden State's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to give him a little shove. And every time he does it, make or miss, we're going to push the ball. And he never once in the series like jump stopped and pump faked and went up strong. Or, or it was mm-hmm. always like rip, like try to rip the ball through Euro, Euro, extend and finish. And like, okay, well, when you rip the ball through, we're going to take it. Uh, we're going to push <laughs> you out a little bit so that like you're going away from the basket when you're trying to finger roll. We're going to maybe give you a little nudge and then you're going to like either fall out of bounds or raise your arms to the ref or do both. And then we're going to have a, like a, like a four on three the other way. And it seemed like they just were very prepared for that. And that's just like, a, like, like almost a micro skill that almost, I don't want to, like, it's, it's, it's reductive to say, like, that lost Boston the series. But really, like, given how important transition play was to Golden State, like, if you turn all those flailing out-of-bounds layups to, like, jump-stop little push shots at the front of the rim, how much difference does the series look, even if he doesn't make any more of them? Right. No, 100, 100%. I think going into game five, Boston's defense was at an 83 defensive rating in half in the half court. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Right. <laughs> you like know, all the, all the talk about like how they're defending Steph badly. It's like, oh, no, this is working. Like, Steph's going to score because, like, he's, you know, you know, pick a number greatest players of all time. So he's going to get buckets sometimes. But overall, yep. we're doing fine here. Yeah, I that that was my feeling in watching it. And the Tatum thing, I think you're right about. Um, he just like he just refused to do just a hard take. Um, he was trying to do the sort of James Harden show the ball, try to get raked over the arm really badly. Uh, and he just, you know, when, when you can't beat Bielitsa and Looney on a switch and you're our best wing player, it, it's like it, we just got to pack it up and go home at this point. <laughs> like, if you can't draw help, like Golden State's like, no, we're staying home. We think Looney and Bielitsa can hold up against you. We think Steph Curry can hold up against you in an isolation and the only person that's giving you any juice in isolation is Jalen Brown, who happens to be a way worse playmaker than Tatum. Like, it, you know, that's how things get thrown, thrown out of whack. And, and yeah, I think that, but that, you're right. That's just more just toughness, man, of just being like, we understand what this guy wants to do. We're going to try to play him for that every single time. And now we're, gonna, we're not going to mess up once and reach in and rake him over the arm and do this. No, we're going to guard this. One specific way every single time, and, and that's what they and, did. And, and even if he if he makes a couple, that's fine. We're just gonna we're gonna make him keep making that same tough shot over and over again. So, yeah, and 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 he couldn't, yeah. you know. And and I think the difference, man. And this is why, like, you know, Miami lost that series to them. But what I like about Jimmy Butler. Like, people talk about, oh, he can't make a three, he can't do this. You know, at a certain point, he's just going to get to the line. If you single cover him with a guy who's smaller or has a strength deficit or what, like, he's just going to get fouled. And he's going to put an end to a run. And he's going to, like, refocus, like, any punch that they took, they're going to get a little woozy, but it's like, all right, we're back to being refocused. I can do something one-on-one against a guy 
who's not a very capable defender. You know, and it's just like when they needed those moments of just run stopping, I'm a I'm a star and I'm stopping this run and we're stopping the bleeding and we're getting reoriented. Like Tatum just couldn't do that for them consistently enough. The guy who did that most often was Al Horford. Yep. And, you know, credit like we all love Al Horford. And I think I think I, I, I am happy that he got to show kind of what he's about on the final stage because he's been a he's been a just a really excellent player for, you know, decade and a half now, basically. Um, I, I when I tweeted out the show earlier today, I, uh, I I mentioned that I had a bone or two to pick with you. So yes, pick so, it, baby. Let's pick so it. So <laughs> I'm just wondering. So uh, about I would say about a week ago, you had a bit of a rant that you went on that I think got some some play where, um, you know, basically you were in praise of Joe Lacob, uh, and and you know in context it made sense because there was some foolishness about like. Because they have Andrew Wiggins, like there was a checkbook win. Was the, right, that was the phrase. I yeah, heard. and like, and you were, and you were in praise of Joe Lacob for spending the money and stuff like that. I want to ask you if you've reconsidered that now that the stories have sort of come out that the Warriors are kind of politicking for there to be different rules about. I'm like, it hasn't been reported that the Warriors are politicking for this, but it's fairly clear that if like, why should you be punished for paying guys you drafted? There shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a fine. It's like. Do you do do you feel do you have some regrets for 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 you know for standing now that uh, no yeah, regrets no, I'll, I'll take I'll take the plaudits for spending money but I'm gonna try to get, I'm gonna try to claw it back too no regrets because it's like the luxury tax exists because the owners wanted it okay so when you guys ask for this thing short sightedly might I add right it's like. Every few years, the Lakers might be able to put a dominant team together, or the Knicks. Well, there's, that's never been proven, but let's just but let's just say it's the Knicks. Theoretically, the Knicks could put a dominant team. Let's just say the Knicks put a team together like what OKC was in 2012, and they're so rich, and nothing could stand in the way of them keeping that group together. No cost. They they'll hand out as much max money to. Uh, Harden to to KD to Russ, they'll give Ibaka an exorbitant extension. They will just do what they have to do to keep a crazy great nucleus together. And there's nothing the NBA could do because they're so rich and they could do it, right? And you know, there's no luxury tax that punishes them. And it's like boohoo, like these fools put this luxury tax in themselves. Nobody, like when I text you, I said. They really act like they found the luxury tax in the burning bush. This was self, self-imposed <laughs> by the owners. Like, this is your rule. And then they use that same rule that they died for to say, oh, it's not fair when an owner's willing to pay for it. That doesn't make any sense to me. That just well, doesn't then- fundamentally makes no sense <laughs> to me. And then you get stuff like today, the you know the reporting that's coming out today that uh, that Charlotte is trying to trade Gordon Haywood so they have space to re-sign Miles Bridges, who they can pay any amount they want. I mean, because of, we, yeah. What, yeah, I mean, what what are we doing here? Yeah, so, so like at the end of the day, what are we doing here? When you say Lakeup did a checkbook win, he's operating by your dumbass rules. If you say, well, you know, I could never justify paying as much as they do 
in um in New Orleans. Well, guess what? If the rules didn't dictate that the luxury tax was this onerous, you wouldn't have to pay that much to keep that kind of group together. All right. So, so like, is... what are we talking about? <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you a little here because I've been having uh, living in Milwaukee. I, I've been having a little bit of this. <laughs> got argument. you. I've got been having you. a little bit this this the same argument uh, locally. In that, all right. Like let, let's let's play that out a little bit. All right. Uh, Joe Lacuff is willing to spend two hundred fifty million dollars on his team. Would you rather that give him a payroll of two hundred fifty million or a payroll of you know not counting luxury tax? So it's like, oh, we got Andrew Wiggins, and now let's trade for, you know, we don't really need uh, Brad Beal on this team, but we can cobble the salaries together and trade for him and then, you know, still sign some guys with some exceptions. And then is, and, or would you rather that, okay, well, they can, they can have a payroll of $160 million or $150 million for that. And, okay, fine, you're not going to pay, you're not going to go deep into the tax. You can, you can put, you know, $125 million on the floor. Which, would you, which, which is a better system for the health of the league? Like finances aside, just from a, a standpoint of of you know being a compelling competitive league, I think now, the better system is paying it straight out in salary. That, that's that's what I think. I, like that's that's what I would think that the better system would be. But again, like the owners are like, look, not everybody makes as much in the TV deal. It's not fair, right? Like Memphis can't get the same deal. That, that the Lakers got here in Los Angeles. They can't even get anything even in the neighborhood. So let's, you know, let's be redistributive and all of that. And, and I have no problem with that, right? Um, but like, I, I have no problem with that. It's my thing is to then complain, uh, like to complain about the luxury tax. When you're any team, when y'all the ones who asked for it, that's my whole thing. Like they asked for yeah. it. There wasn't this like ridiculous competitive imbalance from the Knicks, the Lakers. Who's even rich besides the Knicks and Lakers, to be honest? Because Ballmer wasn't even around back then. The Clippers were actually one of the cheapest teams in the league. You know, like there wasn't this competitive imbalance from teams having these big checkbooks where they could just dominate year after year after year. They just did this shit just because. And to me, it felt like just an art, another artificial way of trying to depress salaries. And it's just like, nah, we can't afford to pay this dude. You know, rather than paying this dude seven or eight million, um, we got to pay him four because it's a luxury tax. Right. It, it's basically doing that shit on the margins. And then that's before we get to the to the place, Seth, where it's like. Why do we pretend that, like, the fucking teams is the only way these cats make money off of owning this shit? Like, the amount of ways they're able to leverage this asset and get themselves paid. We have to pretend that the salaries that they pay out and whatever they get only in ticket sales, jersey sales, TV deals is the only way these cats make money. Plus, they make the money in perpetuity. Like, why we like, that's why I'm just like, this is bullshit. It's self it's self-imposed. And 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 honestly, the reason why I hated it the most, and, and, and I didn't get to say this in my initial rant, I know for a fact the only thing that's happening when Wendy calls something a checkbook win, I don't even think Wendy believes that. He's espousing the opinions of other management types that he's talking to who are bitching about Bob Myers getting to have money to play with. 
oh, my job is harder. <laughs> and so, like, that's what they're doing. They're bitching the win awards that their job is harder because their owners don't spend. Somehow Bob Myers isn't good. As if also, by the way, it's not part of your job to convince these cats to spend. Maybe you not as good as your job. That's just, just people could read it that way. And that's that was my main problem with the just the ideas. Like the owners, like, this is what they want. This is exactly what they want. They want to not spend. And then when somebody wins ever after having abided by your spending measures, you're like, oh, this is bullshit and not fair. I, I, I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm just sick of the owners, to be honest. <laughs> uh, uh, was, it, was, it, was that good for you? It was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I agree with you, though, in the sense that, of course, like, there are a bunch of market disadvantages in places like Milwaukee, in places like Memphis and New Orleans, right? Like, those are realities. But again, you know, if you're a competent franchise, like, I, <laughs> Memphis has been consistently better than the New York Knicks for how... It's, we're going on a decade of this now. I mean, I think it's longer than that, but... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, just straight up, yeah. way better than them in, yeah. every, in all of their outcomes. No, so, like, spending the money is a double-edged sword because, yeah, you can maybe buy your way out of some problems. But only some problems. Like the Knicks' problem has never been the willingness to like like Dolan's willingness to spend. That has never, ever, ever in any no way, shape, or form been a problem. That's actually almost made problems worse in many ways. Mm-hmm. Just because it's like it, like well, well, we can dig deeper. So maybe we'll, <laughs> you know maybe we'll come out the other side if we keep digging. Uh, and you know th- that works probably how it you know you go to the beach. I can dig to China. Remember, do you ever do that when you to like we, which the, the <laughs> just something? keep digging and yeah, digging like, and digging. Yeah, I'm almost there. <laughs> sure you are. Keep keep digging. I'm going to be over here in this in this lawn chair while you're. Oh digging. goodness. Yeah, that's uh, you know, it, it, you know, Papa was no dummy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's look forward a little bit. Like this, I think this was like. All things considered, this was a this was a very enjoyable season for me. Same, uh, like even with like the weirdness, like we had the COVID weirdness at the start of the year, and like the injuries, like the injury stuff, I thought got a little overblown. But at the same time, like everyone's t- like, I, I I think that even just covering the league, like everyone's tired. It's a lot of basketball we've done in the last you know two and a half years. Um, have you have you gotten to think about you know? What you what you're expecting next year at all yet? Big picture, small picture, anything? To be honest, I definitely haven't. But because <laughs> like I've actually been looking forward to not having to like be thoughtful about the NBA for <laughs> some some months now. Um, after the season is over, but I will say, well, sorry I for ex- prolonging it for another. No, another no, hour it's all so. good. <laughs> it's all good. I will say this though. Um. What I loved about this season was just the, we don't know what's going to happen next, right? Like, anybody who thought, who's saying, like, oh, I just knew the Dubs were going to win the championship this year is full of crap. Like, that's not something you just knew to be a given, which we could not say for so long, you know, um, especially when the Warriors got KD. And so, like, I'm so happy that these outcomes are so far from predictable and then 
the guys who are writing these news stories, um, it is the Lucas, it is the Giannis's, it is the John Morant's, it is the Devin Booker's, you know, like it is this new crop of NBA guys, man, and, and it's dope that the new memories are going to be written by these new guys, and I'm just excited to see, because again, all eyes are going to be on Jason Tatum next year in the playoffs. All eyes are going to be on Luka Doncic next, next year in the playoffs, right? Like, all eyes are going to be on Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jamal Murray should be back. Like, it's going to be so dope to watch these guys just rewrite these memories, you know, because I did grow up, basically, I came of age as a hoop fanatic in the 90s. And, you know, I do remember watching the Robinson um, Spurs and Carl Malone and Sean Kemp in Seattle and the Bulls and Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway with the Heat and, of course, the Knicks and all of these guys and these teams that defined, you know, that moment and those memories. And so now to get this new crop of guys who are going to put their imprint on it, like, that's what I'm really excited about. And I think that's what this year was about. Like, Golden State... They they fresh off of their championship and they can't wait to get at Memphis for talking crazy to them. Like I'm looking forward to that interplay next year. A little bit of petty goes a long way. I, oh my god, it's the yeah. best. <laughs> so here's like we're just hearing you say that, and like I'm gonna you know, yeah. Is it is it is it maybe good? Like just in general, it's to, like it feels like. And you know we say like you say this kind of thing at your peril. We've learned the hard way several times before, but to kind of turn the page on the LeBron era, is it is 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 there an element of that? I mean, like I think was such a he's been such a titanic figure over the league, even when the Warriors were there, because it's always it was always going to be the Warriors against not the Cavs, but against LeBron. Yeah. In the finals. Yeah, I, I'm somebody who still will be endless, endlessly fascinated by LeBron and his story. And I feel like the thing about LeBron is the coolest thing about his career to me is the amount of times he was able to surprise us. Like, make us see something that we didn't know we were going to see. Like, even if it's 2011 against Dallas, like, that surprised us. You know what I mean? Like, 2016 surprised us. Even the bubble championship surprised us. Like, the amount of times that he was able to surprise us and just be like, wow, I didn't know I was going to see that. You know, um, I'm, I'm so I'm forever grateful for that. But, you know, that being said, Seth, uh, I think we squeezed about as much juice out of the LeBron James career that we can as, you know, for story purposes and intrigue. Like, he has given us a lot. And God knows he's played his own role in it because he loves the drama. He loves the attention and for sure. But, my God, we're squeezing water out of a stone at this point with the LeBron stuff. So, yeah, I'm with you, brother. It's good that we're turning this page on it. And it's, it's good that there's something on the next page. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. more, more than that. Like, there's oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's been times where it's, I think, I think, you know, a lot of, uh, like, I think my least, the, the least interested I've ever been in the NBA. And some of this is just where, you know, where I was in life, but was like the early two thousands. And a oh, lot of Lord. that was, and a lot of that was Oof. there not was, you know, was uh, as a confluence of factors, um, 
you know, the 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 sort of the Nixie style from oh that, that like, but combine that with like there not being someone to really take over for MJ, and yep. you know, which is crazy to think about when you think like that that was like the height of Shaq, like Duncan, yeah. yeah. But I think you know the thing is that that style of play that that whole let's play games in the seventies and eighties was just not amazing. And and, <laughs> and 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 the thing is, we we got drama out of it. Like Lakers Kings was drama. Uh, like as as much as you know, perhaps scripted drama. <laughs> right. <laughs> as 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 much as I'm sure Adam Silver, because he was working for the league when it happened, wants to forget about the Spurs and Pistons series, that was drama. You know, it just wasn't the most prettiest basketball <laughs> we ever saw. You know, but like LeBron against Detroit again, like that was drama. But those games, like, if you go back and watch it, man, it was bad basketball being played. It just was. Like, just the idea that you would stick LeBron on a team and, you know, basically the most unstoppable force to the basket the league has ever seen, you, you stifle him by starting Ben Wallace and Andy Varejao. Like, this is the type of shit that was going on in the league at that time. <laughs> You know, like the kind of thing that just is un- unimaginable these days, you know. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, like, watching these new guys, man, um, I think there was moments in the playoffs with, like, job where I'm just like, man, like, he is even greater than I thought he was, you know, where it's just like Golden State could do nothing with him at moments. And we saw what they just did to Jason Tatum, you know what I mean? And so... Yeah, these guys are going to be super fun to watch. And these guys are winning, like, attitude type of players. And, you know, I was actually having this conversation with somebody the other day. Like, I think we're done with the era of, like, you know, O.J. Mayo flunking out of the league because he was drinking lean. You know, like, the league has become so corporatized and professionalized. Like, these dudes are pros. Like, they are pros, and they take this shit deadly serious. And the product on the floor reflects that. Like, these dudes are pros. There's no more of this, like, you know, even like a James Harden type. Like, I'm sorry, like, Jason Tatum and, 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 and the guys on the Celtics were not at the strip club on their off nights. Like, I just think that era, like, these guys are so professionalized. And I do think it starts with, like, you know, just the culture of, like, grassroots and all of that stuff. Like, these dudes are commodities from so long. They take it so seriously. Like, they may be terrible quotes, but, like, the way they work on their games and, like, really take this shit so serious, it's amazing. Yeah, no, that's it's it, it's an interesting point you bring up though. It's that, that's the that's the most in praise of AAU that I can remember hearing. You know, like the AAU system for, but I, I guess that is you know that is that is one thing a, a laudatory thing. But I do there are times where like my concern is you know I used the, the term like academy rating before, and it's sort of like like and I think that that we maybe saw a little bit of this from Jason Tatum in, in the finals is. Like, and this is part of why Steph is, is so great, is, like, the improvisational 
Mm. Like, okay, I've got these. I've got this. I've got these things that I can do, but I'm going to do them in a slightly different order that you've never seen before, and it's still going to work, and I'm going to be comfortable doing it because I'm that confident that I have all these these fundamentals. And so it's not. I mean, I'm doing my. All right, I did my left, right, behind the back, pound, rip through move that we worked on 17 times. It's I'm. I'm handling the ball and seeing what you're doing defensively. And, oh, you're leaning the wrong way, so I'm going to in and out and go. Mm. And, and like, and so those are, you know, the guys that, you know, I, I think that's an exciting thing about Ja in, in particular is someone who's just, like, got that sort of, that, that ability to, like, give himself time to decide what to do and not just going and taking everything from, like, you know, a menu that has five things on it. They're all really good things, but there's only five things on the menu. Am I crazy? No, that's that's no, 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 not at all. Um, I, I, you know that that is very well said, and like you, like you just said, like the way these guys, and I think part of it too is like the game is so suburban now, and so like these dudes, they have coaches from when they're young, like. A shooting coach, a ball handling coach, a disco. Like, they're literally drilled on a lot of these skills in a way that, like, you know, I think about someone like Gary Payton, like the senior. <laughs> I know everybody's made that joke about his two yeah. kids named Gary Payton. But, like, the senior, like, I'm like, man, with the Gary Payton of that, of, of that day been able to come out of Oakland and be this Hall of Famer, multi-time, all-star type of guy under today's conditions. You know what I mean? Well, think of how skeptical we are of, of Jokic. Like, we're, like, so much of, like, I don't believe it because, and, and like, so much of him is, is right. the ability to have that sort of, like, read and just, like, okay, I'm going to spin feel. off you. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, like, and that's not, like, yes, he's, he's practiced hard, but that's not <laughs> drilled. That's Mm-mm. experienced. Yep. And yeah, and you just you, you I, and so that's why that's why guys like you know I'm I'm really hoping for the best for like someone like Cade Cunningham, who who love him who, yeah who who is that a little bit more like you know not a guy who is you know forty inch vertical and and whatever nope. but just like you know sees the game plays the game like the more guys we have like that like I don't think that I don't think the charge that everyone one plays the same in the NBA has much merit, but the way to make sure it doesn't have merit is to have more guys who can just who can just play basketball. I agree. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, the field guys are the most fun guys, the most unpredictable guys, and and yeah, like when you when you watch some of the stuff, it's not even because like I think some of the trick shots with Jokic are just like. Insane, but it is the passes, man. It's just like the angles where it's just like this dude has an understanding of literally the cliche of what all nine other guys want to do, supposed to do, or likely to do at every single point of the game. You know, same with Luca and Cade and a lot of these other guys, and they are the most fun guys, man. Yeah. There's a lot more we can go into this. I'm actually, I'm hoping to have, uh, there's a guy named Doug Lamoff who's, Who's written a lot of books on teaching and has written a great book called the uh, the Teacher's Guide to Coaching, and it's about like skill development and stuff like that. Like not like you know rote. All right, we're going to pound the dribble five times. It's like how you actually get better at sports. And I'm hoping to have him on later in the summer to really talk about some of the stuff because that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me. Like 
you know, the players have never been more physically able before. And you just wonder, we've gotten so good at training that, have we, have we done as much to make players, help players make themselves better in the other parts? Like, the, the you know, people, people bemoan the lack of post-play. Like, oh, there's no Kevin McHale or something like that. It's like, because no one's, a, like, no one has that sort of, so no, like, one's, no one's been allowed to be unusual like he was. You know what's crazy too? Like how how often? Because I think about, and I, and this is, this is not to get into some back in my day type of shit. I'm just saying, like I would go to the park, and I would play against dudes who were 35 years old, and I was 14. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how often is that happening nowadays? No, that's that's like that's that, the, like half of the, the the pickup games I played growing up were I learned to play on my neighbor's hoop and my my neighbor. Like played in an open gym in a middle school, and also it was like me and a guy I played with in high school, and a bunch of like thirty-five and forty-year-olds. Yeah, we're like when we're we're sixteen, and it's like like not that these guys are the best players you could possibly be playing, but like it's just a different way of being on a basketball court, you know, and it's a different game than your club team or AU team or whatever. You know, and I wonder how often and people might say, oh, what's what's a kid going to get out of that? I don't know. Just understanding, learning people, learning instincts, learning it's, stuff. It's the same. It's the same thing about playing other sports like, yep. you know, like, you know, the, the guys who, you know, there's always been a cliche about guys who play soccer have good feet. And that's yeah. true. I think they have. I think they I think they, they you know, and, and Nash was the prime example of this. I think they see things differently. Just yeah. because, the, like the way, like the way you can use time and space with the ball is different, so they see things differently. And I, I think that if you just played basketball, you don't see those things. Amen. Now, now we're we're we're. we're I, I said I was going to keep you for an hour, and we're coming up on that. And I love it. Very, I love getting all esoteric yeah. about yeah. basketball, man. I'm getting misty eyed, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably good to start to stop too soon than to stop too late. So. Uh, uh, let's uh, you know after you take your your, your basketball break, uh, let's uh, let's do it again in the fall and figure out which of the twelve teams that think they have a title shot now are actually. I love it. it. I love it. I'm I'm you know free agency is going to be fun. Uh, obviously the draft there there should be a lot of movement, and so yeah in the fall let's let's put our heads together and figure out what's going to happen in the coming season for sure. And I'll be as wrong then as I was this year when I when I was wondering if Golden State would even like make it would even like be a non play in team. Listen, man, I, 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 I'm surprised. I'm surprised the radio station hasn't called me back up yet because I did a, like I did a preseason radio hit on a Bay Area station, and I was like, I just don't know, and I and I think about that a lot, and like I said that. So. All right, well, shit, man. That that was a great advertisement for our future predictions. <laughs> hey, man, predictions are, are are hard, especially about the future. That's what they say. I'm all right, uh, all right. Uh, uh, Big Waz, thanks again for joining me, and thanks, folks, for bearing with us with the technical problems at the beginning. I'm back tomorrow to actually talk about NBA and process team go through to get to the draft with a uh, member of the Pelican. So back tomorrow afternoon and uh, talk to you all then. Thanks a lot. All right.